Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. You may be seated. As you are, turn to Acts chapter 2. Listen to this. This is God's very word to you. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed together, saying, One another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and on your sons and your daughters, excuse me, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall 
be saved. The Spirit has come. said last week as we looked at we looked at the ascension of Christ that that our faith our theology is hinged on two great periods of waiting we said that first period of waiting was well from the time of promise to incarnation and now the next period of waiting is from the time of Christ's ascension until the time of his return. But what you need to know and understand is that that's not the only waiting that there is. There are lots of little waits throughout the Bible. Think about it. Noah, build an ark. I'm going to send rain. How long did he wait? 120 years. Abraham, I am going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you a seed. How long did he wait? David, I have anointed you as my king, but but Saul is going to reign for a little while longer. How long did he wait? Do you get the picture? And last week, Jesus ascended and he said, go to Jerusalem and wait. And now, we are 50 days after, after the ascension of Christ, and 50 days after the Passover, and so we are at Pentecost. And the waiting's over. The Spirit is poured out. And... Listen carefully as I say this to you because I want you to hear it and understand what I am saying and don't misunderstand me. I hope by the end of today you are all Pentecostals. (laughs) Now I don't mean Pentecostal as in running around speaking gibberish and saying that God said something to you or God's moving in this. No, no, I don't mean that. But I also don't mean that I want you to, well, as a good Presbyterian, be so frozen that you don't understand the necessity of the Spirit's coming. Because there's danger on both sides, right? We don't want to go to that one extreme where they call nonsense the work of the Spirit. But we also don't want to go to the other extreme where we, well, we don't want to be like them. And so we minimize who the Spirit is and what He does. Because there's danger on both sides. We want to be good Pentecostals. We want to understand that we need this outpouring of the Spirit. We want to understand and remember that Christ said His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And He said it's better that He's gone away. That He is out of the way. Because if if He wasn't, well, they would still be trying to ride in and make Him king in a geopolitical way. But His kingdom isn't in some spatial place. It's over All things. He is the risen reigning king who came to his disciples, you remember. And he said, all authority, where? In Jerusalem? No. No, in Judea? No. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. I reign and rule over all 
things. That's our king. And now he's given to us well, the motor by which the car drives. It's one thing to have the body. It's another thing to have the body and the motor. Without the coming of the Spirit, the church is dead. Without the moving of the Spirit, you're dead. And so I want us to look at this text and understand as we come to it, the, the, the coming of the Spirit shows us that the mission of Christ is wholly spiritual. And it's necessary for the coming of Christ's kingdom. We're going to take a look at it in three points. We're going to see firstly the the event of the Spirit's coming. What exactly takes place here? Is this something new? We're going to see the necessity of the Spirit's coming. Why? Why why is this something that even needs to happen? And then we're going to see the message that accompanies the Spirit's coming. What's he saying with this? So, the event, the necessity, the message. Let's talk about the event of the Spirit's coming. Is this something that that is brand new that they would never have been able to tie in with something that's happened in the past? This is entirely new and so it's something so overwhelming. There's a great disconnect between this and all that's gone before. Well, no. So we need to talk about it. Because unless you draw the same connections that they would have, it Seems kind of like that, doesn't it? What happens? They were all together when the day of Pentecost arrived, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what happened? Well, they were all together in one place in Jerusalem waiting waiting and doing exactly what Christ had said. And now it's Pentecost. And you may or may not recognize that, that Pentecost in the, their day sort of had two meanings behind it. Firstly, it had that feast behind it, that old agricultural and historic feast that was originally in the, the middle of the three feasts uh, and Jewish harvest festivals. And, and you can read about that in Deuteronomy 16, right? That's, that's what a Pentecost originally uh, was. But near the end of the intertestamental period, you understand that, that time between uh, Malachi finishing up and Matthew beginning, right? That 400 years. In between that time, well, there began to be an observing of Pentecost as the observation of the giving of the law. They were brought out at Passover and 50 days later, so they began to observe it as the giving of the law. Now, I put that before you because there's no guarantee of that being connected with what I'm about to say, but I think it fits and I think it's exactly 
what is happening here. What do I mean? Well, what do you see at the coming of the Spirit? You see a mighty rushing wind. Have you been in a great wind? Have you been in a wind so strong that you swear that it sounds like a train horn? Have you been in that loud noise that, that rises almost up so much that you just, you just can't take it anymore? Now, I just said we want to tie it back to Sinai. What do you know about Sinai? There they gathered. And there the Lord thundered. And there was that trumpet blast that began. And it crescendoed until they were so scared they were shaking, weren't they? Like, no, 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 no. We will not go up. You go up for us, Moses. We want nothing to do with that. Well, here, here the Spirit descends. He's poured out in such a way that that it is shaking so loudly that they come out to investigate, don't they? This isn't some small event that's tucked away neatly into the upper room where they were gathered so that they could just say, yeah, I mean, the Spirit came upon us. No, no, it was such an event that it shook the earth and they all come running. What's, what, what's happening? What's going on over here? And they were amazed. They were astonished at the event that takes place. And then, of course, you get these tongues of fire, right? What else was on Sinai? It was up in smoke, wasn't it? You know the old saying, don't you? And if you don't, let me introduce you to a new saying. Where there's smoke, there's fire. And they also heard voices, didn't they? If you know the history of Israel, you know that they heard the rumblings and the voices. And so here it is. You need to be thinking big picture because if you're tied down to just this, you'll take it off into strange things and you might, you might think of it more or less than you should. And so the event that happens is the Lord fulfilling something. He is going to bring to pass, And so they, they come out, they seek to understand it, and there are unbelievers among them, aren't there? Unbelievers always try to explain away spiritual things by natural means. These guys are drunk. They're drunk. That's the only explanation. But listen, I don't know about you, but If I had anything to drink, I don't believe I'm going to be pulling out my languages and speaking them clearly and declaring the gospel. Right? They're not drunk. God's doing something. And so Peter says as much. He's like, it's nine o'clock in the morning. What kind of people are you? These people aren't drunk. God is at work. What's he doing? Well, he's representing before them the new era of the Spirit, which had begun in a fullness not known before. In a fullness that would empower all of Christ's people to go forward. 
And so Luke doesn't focus on the wind and fire very much. He, he focuses on the tongues, and that's where we're going to spend most of our, our time. The, the wind, of course, is the power behind God's working, the fire, purity, and, and cleansing. But, but tongues, I mean, did they really look like tongues? I, I don't know. They divided out and fell on them, but it was enough that they come out and they're like, these are Galileans. Galileans, if you don't know, were sort of the, the rednecks of the day. These were the, the, the people that, that were just the backcountry folks that, you know, if they were going to try and speak French like I would, they would say, parlez-vous français? You know, it just doesn't fit. How is it that these uneducated men are now speaking in such a way that we hear? That we hear. And so what was this phenomenon? It's tongues, yes, it's tongues, but it's also languages. It's not the result of intoxication. They didn't, they didn't seem, they didn't look intoxicated. This was unbelief trying to, trying to discredit a work that was happening. This wasn't some sort of fit, no, because one of the fruits of the Spirit is actually self-control. And these all were speaking the gospel as they were given utterance. And so it was a supernatural ability to speak in, in some other language. But it's interesting. What's happening? You get that list, don't you? Are they not Galileans and yet here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, it's pretty specific, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, they all heard. I want you to think about a time when everyone heard. And what they did was they heard in their own language because there was one language and they thought to build themselves up to heaven. To get above the work of God in flooding. And now God scattered them and sent them out. But now they're united yet their languages don't come back together. They're united in something greater by the Spirit. They are being united into the work of Christ. So this undoing of, of Babel overcomes this, this disunity of language with a unity of spirit. And so God's at work. And so you have the event, but why is that necessary? Why, why is it necessary for the Spirit to be poured out and come in this way. Well, remember, Jesus told his disciples to wait for the coming of the Spirit. Because why? Well, because there's a very real danger. There's a very real danger for each of us and for them that they would attempt to undertake this spiritual kingdom work in a very earthly way. There's a very real danger that the disciples would not wait and a very real danger that they would seek to accomplish that which Jesus had given for them to do in their own strength, which is why he said, wait for the Spirit. And that is a danger for you 
and me even today. Don't believe me? How many times have churches undertaken a work, something that they want to do for the glory of God without so much as sitting down and praying through it together? How many times have you sat down with your Bible on your lap in your own devotional time and you just begin reading as if this is any other book and you don't need the Spirit to make you alive, to have this apply to you deep down inside that it will change you. You read it expecting that you can draw out what's necessary. Do you understand The Spirit is necessary because, well, there's nothing that you have that you haven't been given. And if you've been given it, then why do you behave as if it wasn't? The Spirit is necessary because of the danger, the danger of attempting to do spiritual work through earthly means. Let me give you another example. Once again, you want to interact with someone who is, maybe they're antagonistic toward you, maybe they're antagonistic toward the faith, and what you think you need to do is really put them in their place. And so you're going to argue them with impressive eloquence and rhetoric into submission. You're going to point out their logical fallacies. You are going to tell them on all the ways that their arguments fail. And unless the Spirit blesses that, You're just a clanging gong and a noisy cymbal. Nothing is accomplished. Do you pray before you undertake? Do you seek the Spirit's help before you even attempt to engage? It's not your eloquence. Christ's kingdom didn't come on your shoulders, it came on His. It's not going to be borne up on your legs, it's borne up by His. And it's done by the Spirit. We above all people ought to be Pentecostals. We above all people ought to be praying daily that the Lord would bless us, fill us, cause us to walk after the Spirit, to walk in the way that He has called us to, understanding that we can't do it. We're but the body. If there's no breath, we're dead. Listen to what John Stott said. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable. Even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of spirit. No Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit. No effective witness without his power. As a body without uh, without breath is a corpse. So the church without the spirit is dead. Spirit must come that Christ's kingdom will go forward. How does that kingdom go forward then? Well, it goes forward in the message. 
It goes forward in the message of the kingdom. You get it, don't you there? Peter begins preaching. And he spells out to them what's going on. He says, listen, this is not something that you shouldn't have expected. This is exactly what Joel said was coming. And as a matter of fact, this is that day. This is the pouring out of the Spirit as promised in Joel. This is that point from which there is no return. It won't be repeated. The only other way that the Spirit comes in a way like this is when the Gentiles are first explicitly brought in. But this is the day that the Lord has promised. And what is the message of that day? And it shall come to pass, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, with the coming of Christ, we entered into the last days. We're not looking for the last days. You're, you're in them, right? From, from the period of his, from his ascension until he comes again, those are the last days. Not still some future thing out there. You're in them right now. You had the former days from the time of the promise until his incarnation. You're in the last days. And now, now what is the message of the last days? For them, it was look to the one who is to come. For us, look at the one who's come. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Peter says, this is that day. There is no second blessing. That's why we're not like those Pentecostals. That said, you need the Spirit coming to you, empowering you, causing you to live, so that you live, walk, and speak in such a way that it is evident there's something different in you. And the something different in you is not your resolve of character. It's not your strength. It's the spirit of adoption who brings you into his family. That's the something different that men and women notice and they say, tell us about the hope that is in you. The necessity of the spirit brings us to the last day when we are those who go out and when they say, tell us about the hope that's in you, it's this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The message of the Spirit's always been the same. Peter's going to go on and say, God told you what he was going to do, and he did it in Jesus. And he's all your hope if you ever hope to be saved. That's what he's going to do in the rest of the chapter because the message has always been saved. So how does the kingdom advance through that? We don't pull out swords. We don't charge with the cavalry. The Spirit empowers that simple message. The Spirit empowers and sends us out with that simple message. And so the day of Pentecost is another day of waiting. It's pointing us to that day when with John and Revelation we say after this I looked and beheld a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why do you need the Spirit? To fulfill that picture. How does He do it? With His simple message. When did it begin in its fullness? With the event of Pentecost. You need the Spirit. You need Him at every turn. And so I hope this day finds you a good Pentecostal. Looking to Him for all things in the body of Christ. Let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, we pray that You will strengthen us by Your Spirit. That You will do a work in us. That You will empower us and enable us to go forward, not in our strength, but by Your Spirit. Not by our might. Not by our power but in the name of Jesus, through the one who makes the difference. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.